This is an ABC podcast. True Cult with Alex Bonniewell. From Lantana to Brand New Day, there is no shortage of fantastic mainstream Australian films. Uh, but Australia's cinematic output does have a bit of an underbelly, doesn't it, Lance? <laughs> and it is called Ozploitation. Um, yes. And, you know, I think you think of films like Razorback, Patrick, uh, just to name a few of those in that realm of Ozploitation. But it was kind of very popular in the 70s and 80s. It started, you know, to turn up a lot more after the introduction of the R rating yes. in sort of the early 70s. And you and also Alex Bonniewell, who is in our Sydney studio. Hi, Alex. Hello. Now, Alex, we're going to get into this. Uh, what When it comes to Ausploitation, Alex, I'm interested by this because you're English for a start. You're a Londoner. Yeah. So how did you come across Ausploitation and where does it sit in terms of you, the things that you watch and the things that you love. Weirdly, the only thing I actually saw that would fit into exploitation, the canon would have been Mad Max in the UK. Because whenever I saw the posters for things, I go, oh, and they go, oh, it's going to be Australian. That's going to be it. I don't know. I, it just didn't fit in with what I was watching at the time because I was much more into the the eighties US horror output. But since I've been in Australia, I have devoured it and called up big time on exploitation and started to regard it for the for the amazing b-grade cinema that it is yeah i mean i think there's something really unique to pretty much any country you'll go to you'll find they have their own strange underground weirdly niche film scene you know there's still a the uh, to, to someone like me who's an outsider to say the, the idea of Hong Kong horror films. There are still just mountains and mountains of those things that I have no idea about and haven't come across. And it's always good to know that there are these little pockets that one can always dig into and it never ends. There's always another movie to find. <laughs> yes, there's always, always more. So I'm amazed at the, the, the amount of films that came out of Australia and I, I keep discovering. So, yeah, it's, it's been like this treasure trove for me moving here and finding all this crazy cinema. <laughs> and what I love is that more recently, Alex, you watched an entire, was it an entire Blu-ray of just trailers? Yes. Yeah. Um, the uh, Drive-In Delirium series that that Umbrella put out. Yeah, they're incredible. I love sitting there for like three hours just absorbing <laughs> all these insane trailers. Yeah, Drive-In Delirium is the sort of thing that well, as the title would suggest, by should you make it to the end of it, you'll you'll certainly be uh, uh, altered by the experience. I now have a mass, a bigger list of films to try and find. Yeah, curse you, curse you, <laughs> and bless you, internet. Yes. So, Alex, I mean, for you, where does exploitation fit? I mean, were you a big watcher of exploitation? Um, like I said, it's like not particularly. I mean, I'd see posters for stuff like stone and razorback in my local video shops and just laugh at them and go nah they're going to be rubbish and i, I would just <laughs> ignore them and to my peril i found out since i've discovered it i don't know it just wasn't on my radar lance I mean, was you... it on your radar yeah yeah i mean growing up here and being part of a a, a family that was big into drive-in culture we'd be at the drive-in pretty regularly as a as a family outing and i mean i think Exploitation cinema, which I might give like a quick 20-second rundown on. Yeah, completely. Is the idea of a, you know, a movie that's been made 
very cheaply. And the, the exploitation term, I mean, there's, there's discussion where it comes from, but basically it comes from focusing on one idea. The movie is about this. There must be a car crash or there must be a prison or something like that. And you just take that and you just exploit this concept and build an entire film around it, you know, usually because of budgetary constraints. So I did end up taking in a lot of this stuff as a kid. Probably didn't process a lot of it. Often these would be the picture you'd watch while you're waiting for the main feature to start, literally the B picture. But certainly something that invested me with a, a love of cinema from an early age and an appreciation of where cinema can go, because some of these Australian films specifically get pretty nuts. And like oh, we, we certainly weren't afraid of doing dangerous <laughs> no. things on screen. They're, they're completely crazy. I mean, they, the um, not quite Hollywood documentary mm. turned me onto so much stuff and just the insanity of the stunt people and the directors and the producers who like you say would just go here's an idea let's go to the middle of middle of nowhere and make it and it's just like that's what i love about exploitation. make sure you bring a dozen cars that you're ready to have completely <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> destroyed by the end of production we, we did th- like doing that i don't think there's one film in our list tonight that hasn't got some sort of focus on some sort of vehicle going fast somewhere yes true (laughs) very true that hadn't occurred to me with the more recent one but you are right well let's and alex speaking of vehicles Mm. uh we are starting with one where there is a vehicle and there definitely is maybe a vehicle that goes over the edge of a cliff just only just well actually the opening credits really are just a cavalcade of uh stunts and things that could go possibly wrong so where are we starting the film you are referring to is from the earlier end of the exploitation timeline from 1974 the infamous sandy harbutt and his film stone stone is a trip the grave diggers are on the move a new breed of motorbike gang that's why we're here, man, together. Because when you're out there right, man, with the grave diggers, what can stop us, man? What can stop us? We own the world. They live in a fortress by the sea. Vietnam veterans with their own style of life. They don't seem to make a lot of friends. But now, somebody wants them dead. All of them. So the cops send stone. Yeah, that's right. I'm a cop. I've been sent to find out who's been killing your mates. Why would you want to know that? That's the way I earn my living. The whole reason we're outlaws is because we're against pigs and everything a pig is. So how are we going to do our thing with you pigging around us? Ken Shorter is stone, working undercover on a deadly mission. Sandy Harbert is the undertaker, leader of the grave diggers. In a suspense thriller, you cannot predict. I'll kill you! Stone is different. Take the trip. And there's some of that effect. Uh, yes, yes. Stone <laughs> is different. Take the trip. Um, one one thing as well about the 70s uh, exploitation films. Um, my partner Belinda was talking about this when we were watching one of these movies that we'll get to, is just the sheer brutal amount of Aussie arguing in these films that that unrefined 
Australian accent with people just, and I don't know that there's many lines I can quote because usually there's a lot of blue language in these films, <laughs> but there is just so much in these in these films of Australians yelling at each other and ripping shreds off one another, and it's uh, oh, it's it's orally a delight, and I'm so glad it exists on film. Now, Stone from 1974. I had the pleasure of spending some time with director Sandy Harbert when he was doing a uh, a tour of a uh, film print of Stone, I'm going to say 10, 15, more like 15 years ago. And what an interesting character this fellow is. And what a shame that he was never able to do any feature films after this. Uh, many reasons as to why and why not that people have speculated on, but I can tell you he spoke to me about some of the ideas he had, and they would have been films to watch, I can tell you. This is a man with a lot of ideas, a lot of which are transported to the screen in Stone. Long story short, the trailer gave us the basic rundown, but this character, Stone, played by Ken Shorter, is an undercover cop who has to uh, spend time with the gravediggers are the bike gang, led by The Undertaker, Sandy Harbert himself. Um, they're getting picked off one by one by mysterious person in all manner of interesting ways. It turns out to be a bigger conspiracy than they had originally thought, which was just the idea of bike gangs knocking each other off. It gets into a deep political thriller that gets twisty and turny, kind of for its own sake, and no one really remembers that part of the plot anyway. When it comes down to it, this is a fantastic, visceral look at bike culture in the 1970s in Australia. It predates Mad Max by several years, features a lot of cast members, uh, most notably Hugh Keysburn, who also turned up in Mad Max Fury Road, um, as well as many other Australian productions. It's a really enjoyable film. It's really tough. It's a lot grimier than one might expect. It, it doesn't mess around and pull its punches. There are elements of it that are kind of campy and a bit of fun. But overall, this is a really serious movie. And specifically with its depictions of violence, it's quite shocking and still today stands up as a really impactful movie. I like it a lot and I've got a lot of time for this film. It's a, a rewatch for me every couple of years and I'm still surprised at how well it stands up and what an effective piece of filmmaking it is. Alex, what were your thoughts on Stone? I see. I... I would see posters for this in my local video libraries for years. They'd be there, and it would say, "Before Mad Max, there was Stone." And because I was a Mad Max fan, I was like, "Oh, I don't really want to know what's before Mad Max." But I've watched this two <laughs> or three times <laughs> since I've been in Australia. I haven't, I haven't actually got a copy myself. I've had to borrow it off a friend of mine every time I wanted to see it. So it was a good excuse to borrow it off him again. And this, so I so want to see this in a really nice, pristine, like yeah, Blu-ray release. It really needs. That it's like one of those the films from the Ausploitation canon that's just not I don't think it's been shown enough enough love with that kind of re release thing. Yeah, you're but, right. The the home video release is fine. But yeah, yeah, a nice print would be good to see. And I got to say, if anyone has the opportunity to see this at a at like a revival screening on the big screen, oof, it really comes to life. I mean I I love this. It's it's quite obvious that you know, um George Miller took a lot of influence from this for Mad Max. You've got all those kind of low-angle camera work on the bike race scene mm. and stuff. There's even a character... I had to wait till the titles came because I thought there was a character in there actually called Mad Max, but it's called Bad Max. Yeah, that's right. And it was like, <laughs> what? Hold on a minute. <laughs> How influential was this film? Um, I kind of like it because Stone is a bit kind of like 
rubbish. The, as a character, I yeah. kind of like him. Like I'm stone. <laughs> you're kind of like, oh, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna survive with these. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a few key scenes in Stone that I love. I love the funeral at the start. Mm. Is brilliant. Yeah. Um, the pub brawl. Mm. is incredible it's amazing and i really like stone's initiation it's kind of the lamest initiation i could think of to join a bike gang <laughs> it was like oh, is that it oh you got a nice dangly earring all right yes okay. but uh, so these these are things i like about these kind of movies where they they have all this real toughness to them but there's always this kind of slightly bizarre side to them where you're kind of going did you really think that bit through? Did you think that would be more <laughs> on screen than it really was? There is certainly a theatricality to it yes. all that, that, that undermines any kind of toughness that works well. Um, the first time I watched this, I was sitting there going, their fortress by the sea is where they're filming The Biggest Loser at the moment. I'm sure it is. Uh. It all looks out over... It's in North Sydney, I think. And I was kind of watching it going, wow, they, it looks much better when Stone... <laughs> and and the and the grave diggers were living in it. Yep. I kind of like the kind of this kind of immense concrete bunkers with a bike gang in it. That just sounds seems amazing. Yeah, the central location is absolutely gorgeous. And um, yes, I'm not familiar with how it's being used now. But uh, yes, the danger of shooting in on like public access property, I guess, is your set is everybody's set now. Yeah. Alex, were you aware that there's a Stone Dewey Hungerford Memorial Ride, which is happening 8th of Feb in 2020, um, and it goes along the Hume Highway to honour, um, but also allow Stone fans to pay respects, and also some of those um, motorcyclists who were extras in the film, who, mm. was, who were still around as well, uh, and it's kind of part of their send-off. Um, and the only reason I knew that this existed, uh, Alex and Lance, was because I have a colleague in this building here in Brisbane where I work. He's a motorcyclist as well and he talks about he goes on this every year and absolutely loves the film stone sure (laughs) why not yeah i know i know it's just it's and i think i think that's one of the things is that this is 1974 and in 2020 we've still got people driving the high you know driving the highway on their bikes getting together and also meeting certain people from the film Mm. who sometimes make guest appearances but that's the impact that it's had it's lingered in the in the public consciousness over here for sure. And uh, as Alex said, I, I'm going to reiterate, it really deserves a nice Blu-ray release. It, so the, surely that's not that hard to do. No, the, the only British film I can compare this to is Psychomania. Oh. But, but that's that's far more kind of hammer horror campness. Yes. And it, it, hasn't, it hasn't got the grit that Stone has got. So <laughs> this, 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 this is kind of like... You can find comparisons with films being made in the UK at the same time, which I was watching, and then what was, they were doing in, over here in Australia. And the Australian ones always seem to, like you said, have that kind of grrr to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's And, you know, it's funny, this and a lot of Australian films, I've got this weird imaginary timeline where there are a lot of Australian films that actually happen in the world of Mad Max. Everyone's in this into this cinematic universe thing at the moment. Yeah. I definitely can see Stone as happening in that same world. Yes. One day I'm going to program just a festival that, that chronicles the untold Australian history of the Mad Max films, including all of these weird adjuncts that oh, I've I decided are, are canon. So No, this is great. This start is off great. with that. Yes. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you. Someone who liked to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. If I could find these men, I'd do it. 
What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No, only you. May I point something out? In the drone surveillance footage. Sir Brantner, Marine Corps, address 414 Citrus, New Ground. We'll need a plan. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well-thought-out plan. I need your permission to operate independently. Permission granted! Thank you. You didn't know that I'm a ninja. While I am state-of-the-art, I am not a ninja. Alex, uh, Alex and Lance, I had so much. I had so much fun with this film. Uh, but Alex, give us a run through of of what is Upgrade all about. Uh, this was one of my favourite films of of 2018. So uh, briefly, it's set in a in a sort of pretty much fully automated future. There's touchscreen, everything's tables, walls, TVs, cars are future automatic cars, like you sort of saw in time cop and what i think elon musk is trying to make at the moment with his cyber truck i so want a cyber truck it would fit into my world so well anyway in this world is gray trace played by logan marshall green who doesn't kind of fit he's kind of out of time he likes doing stuff with his hands and he fixes muscle cars and he does them up and he sells them to rich people one of these people is um eron keen and he's invented this chip called stem which is going to change the world but gray's not that impressed and after dropping the car off him and his wife get in their future car and go home get into a bit of a crash um his wife gets murdered and he gets crippled and then Aaron comes in and says if i implant this chip into you you can walk again and find out who killed your wife so it turns into this insane sci-fi revenge movie um and as you heard from the trailer stem the chip can take over control of gray's body and help him help him enact his revenge this is so far out this film i love this um i see so many discussions on people who just discover this online and go i can't believe i've not found this before now the direction in this is insanely good i love all the editing the fight sequences are just unreal i don't think i've quite seen anything like it and yeah it's fun it's brutal and yeah it's just thoroughly enjoyable it's a really good film directed by lee wanal who used to be the film review guy on recovery, recovery. which has been getting a lot of uh, attention lately which is wonderful to see but yeah great to see lee the second film he directed i believe after he did one of those conjuring things. He he was writing a lot of of material, but um, conjuring. No, there wasn't a conjuring. No, no, Insidious three. three. Insidious three. Sorry, my That's bad. Right. <laughs> another another ghost film with like grey posters with that same font that they all have. And, and but yes, yeah, he wrote the first three Saw movies as well. He did. And look, I've, what I, what what is my problem alex every few years i i say to myself you know i should go back and rewatch the saw franchise i think to myself maybe i'm not remembering it correctly i should go back and give these films a chance and then i go back and i get through to varying degrees of success um i don't know it's just okay i think well, I, I feel like okay. i should like them more than i do 
No, I I understand what you're saying. Mm. I don't think they're a film that I necessarily rewatch. I did watch just to see what uh, was innovative about it. You know where it was pushing, where it was going. Mm. Um, but that first film was enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really enough. I think I think once I realised they're all set at the same time and they they don't follow on from each other they're all running concurrently that's right isn't it yeah then it made it a much more interesting watch anyway see that's the (laughs) thing that makes me go back to them i think to myself oh no they were clever weren't they anyway uh, upgrade (laughs) i really like this and you know you know one of the reasons i think this fits into the ozploitation genre Mm. is that in a way it's kind of like knockoff venom uh, it came out the same year as the film Venom with Tom Hardy, in which Tom Hardy is possessed well, this- by an alien intelligence that talks to him and is symp- simpatico with him. And uh, unfortunately, the main actor, Logan Marshall Green... is like a doppelganger it, it, to Tom Hardy, let's be honest. It, yeah, he's like Tom Harpy, you know, he's like the slightly... <laughs> he's Bad Max. He's Bad Max. Yes, as, as the improbably named uh, Grey Trace. I'm not oh, it's, quite, it's, but that's one of the worst sci-fi action film names ever. But, like everything but. in this film, it weirdly <laughs> works. And I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm not punching down on Upgrade. I think it's no. far, far better than Venom. And those, that's a lazy comparison. I don't believe they were. There was no interconnectivity with the production. I don't think anyone was looking over anyone's shoulder. But I think just by chance, it came out at a similar time with an incredibly similar looking actor and similar pr- uh, premise. But this one works really well. The actor, Harrison Gilbertson, that plays Eron Keane, that, that tech genius, does a really good Klaus Kinski impression in this film, I thought. <laughs> yes. He gives across that <laughs> yeah. really weird cheekboned, uh, like, eye-rolling Kinski Socially thing. awkward, not great with yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Been playing with his cloud in his house for too long. Yeah. Like a physical cloud. It's a physical cloud. When you yeah. see the film, it's a physical cloud. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. And the thing I liked about this film as well is that you see a lot of films, especially in the last several years that have been coming out, that are des- they design themselves as as B pitches. They say to themselves, we're going to be schlocky films. This is our deliberate thing we're doing. And I feel often these films are winking at the audience and kind of talking down to them and being patronising to themselves about their subject matter. Upgrade doesn't do that. Everyone leans into it. Everyone gives their all directorially. Uh, the, the score is really good. All of the actors are on top form and no one is acting like they're better than this admittedly kind of trashy subject material. And it's what makes it work. It what make, it's what makes this a thrilling film, I think. And I like that it's got the thing a lot of exploitation films also have, which is a deep distrust of uh, authority and control systems. Yes, and that's yes. what I was going to say, Alex and Lance, is for me two things. One, uh, it, this upgrade is my Wolf Creek for driverless cars. Uh, mm. Pretty much has told me why I shouldn't get one, so thank you very much upgrade for that, and thank you very much for Wolf Creek because I'll probably never drive across Australia by myself without people knowing, multiple people. <laughs> yes. It's really scarred me, that film. But also, there's a sneaky little uh, nod to uh, James Wan in Upgrade. Yes. 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 Yeah, Alex, you caught it as well. You both caught it? Yep. The um, intercom button. Yes. Yeah, I liked that. But I only caught that this time round watching it. And it's like, oh, (laughs) oh, 
Good. I like it when they put things like that in movies. <laughs> yeah, there was a nice amount of care put into this film. And and uh, I got to say, uh, our boy Logan Marshall Green does some of the best horror slapstick work since Evil Dead 2, to oh, be yeah. honest. He does a great physical performance in this as someone who is not quite himself, let's say. Yeah. And it's got a nice bleak, downbeat ending. Ticks, ticks, ticks all around. Five yes. bags of popcorn. Woo. Yes, are you, I'm introducing are you shouting, a rating Lance? system. You're yes. shouting. So your last program, you go, I'm going to bring in a rating system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I've stolen directly from a, another TV show called On Cinema at the Cinema, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, Upgrade. I'll have one. Yes. Alex will have one. Fair enough. Everyone will have one. Now, this, um, Alex, was my pick. We've <laughs> been talking a lot about this particular film. I'm so excited that it is happening and that we can talk about it so i'm just going to play it for over 200 million years the crocodile has roamed the swamplands coexisting with the people of the land today it faces its greatest predator there was another attack last night two fishermen fishermen that's a laugh they were poached poachers or not they are big. looks like you've done it well and truly this time best me it was one of your crops that did it, not me. This is the one we thought we'd never see in our lifetime, man. Did we have to kill it then? Yeah. You're not getting that numb and worry. You're smart. Stim belong this river. I've got to stop it. I don't want to hurt it, but I've got no choice. Don't you understand? Numb and worry carries the spirit of the people. That's why he says he can't be killed. Devil get him. He tried to kill that crocodile and devil spirit, get him. Where is he? Where's he gone? Will you tell me how to solve the problem? That's not number one. Catch him. Catch him alive and bring him back. Why do you always have to be a hero? Now, I've told the minister the problem solved. I told him it's over. If anyone touches that crocodile, they'll be sorry. It's alive or right, and that's the way it's going to stay. I just want to say it's complete awesomeness, that trailer. That's a, that's a trailer. That's uh, <laughs> certainly a trailer. Um, Dark this Age. Is, you know, this is Dark Age, 1987. Yep. I've been wanting to talk about this film for a very long time. Thankfully, the topic came up that I could sneak this one in. Mm. It is just the best. This film is so good. <laughs> this film was... I had not seen Dark Age. Are you kidding, Lance? I am not kidding. Okay, well... I'm I'm doing well, a truth did, pinky swear thing. How did you make out the actual plot for Dark Age? I went into this completely not knowing what I was getting into. I had the sense it was a crocodile film. I thought I was going to see a very cheaply done knockoff film of, of people battling a, a, a paper mache crocodile and that was going to be it. This surprised me with the amount of depth that's in the film and the amount of effort made by the filmmakers uh, to do th So this is 1987, by the way. Uh, this was directed by a fellow named Arch Nicholson, who, while he did a lot of TV work, did some theatre work, I believe, did not have a, a huge amount of cinematic output and who died sadly young. 
Having said that, uh, yes, this film stars a young John Jarrett in a very different role to what we have become used to seeing him in with the Wolf Creek franchise. He's our he's our protagonist. He's our hero in this film, and he plays Steve Harris. Uh, and look, I got to say, Grey Trace is a better film name than Steve Harris. Yeah. Steve Harris <laughs> edges more towards the boring side of things. Yeah, but look, there's this giant monster crocodile that's taking people in far north Queensland. And uh, he has been sent with the mission to find this thing and to kill it. He does not want to because he likes the crocs and he feels that, hey, why should we kill this thing that is a technically a prehistoric animal? It's such a wonderfully... Okay, now I was about to call it a subtle film. It's not a subtle film. But look, I I really respected that there are a lot of Indigenous actors in this film that were used as more than simple window dressing or were more than just waiting for the white saviour to come and take care of all their problems, as we see in films like, I don't know, Dances with Wolves and Last Samurai and movies like that. Um there was, and although a lot of the dialogue is a little on the nose as far as the Look, syntax it's, it's, used, it's a film of its time. It is of its time. Yeah, and I do re- at least I really admire it, it introducing indigenous concepts like the land having a memory of what's happened on it, of of the the world around you being responsive to your actions. And, and the idea of the... I, I love that it's referred to... I said alligator. Sorry, I meant crocodile. Because this creature is a dreaming crocodile. One that has ancient, ancient memory. And that has seen the world around it. Which is why it is... Hmm. I was going to say rampage. Again, I'll correct myself. It's not technically rampaging. It's taking people that it feels are ready to be taken. Including... A shocking scene earlier in the film when it takes a young boy that I was certainly not expecting to happen. <laughs> when that happened, my jaw dropped and I thought, this movie might have some surprises in store for us. But look, it's really great to see this film as well take the, 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 the tack of, in its last half, becoming a rescue mission to save this ancient creature that is simply giving judgment to things around it as opposed to being purely aggressive. And I, I love the idea of the film trying to wrap things up in a non-violent way and to have this become more of an adventure than simply sitting in a swamp at night with a rifle shooting at things, which is what I expected to be. And if you like night shooting swamp action, there's still a lot of that in here. Um, um, Burnham Burnham really stands out as the MVP of this film, as the elder Underbund, who is... which was a weirdly Germanic name to my ears, but I am not uh, educated enough to comment. But also a bit of David Gulpalil in there as well. A young David mm. Gulpalil credited as Gulpalil. Yes. In the credits, yes. which was interesting. Um, yeah, I like this a lot. It surprised me with how engaging it was, how exciting it was, and the amount of respect shown to the land and the people around the land where it was shot. Alex, you will obviously have a very different take on this as well, being a Londoner. Yeah. Uh, not sure what your experience with Crocs is. <laughs> but... <laughs> Pretty zero. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm thankful to say me as well. <laughs> I wasn't fighting any off on the way to school or anything like that. Uh, the, uh, the only idea, anything I t- knew about crocodiles was from watching Tarzan films as a kid. So I knew they okay. rolled. Okay. And that was it. So what, what yeah. did you make of Dark Age? Well, it's like this comes in to me in the same way that Razorback does. It's like someone coming and going, let's do Jaws, but in Australia. And we've already, they, 
done a giant pig so let's do a giant crocodile and there are a couple <laughs> of scenes in this which are shall we say nicely a homage to jaws the oh, yes. The, yes. the scene that lance said with the kid by the pier direct scene from jaws and you've got the boat being towed mm. by the giant croc as well it's just jaws it's like with dark age i don't feel that they're ripping off jaws they're just kind of going yeah it's going to get compared let's just kind of go thank you for helping us and we're going to put these in anyway so people can kind of oh look it's just like jaws this is going to be great fun what i really liked about this is the the croc starts off as the bad guy and ends up being the good guy yeah at the end and you're kind of going i really like the way that switched and i really like again like with all these films there are some cool stunts in this yeah when when you've got burnham burnham on the front of the truck hammering through the outback it's like you 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 wouldn't get me sitting on the front of a truck doing that <laughs> that's insane but he's completely calm he, he probably might not have been but he looks completely calm just hammering through the scrub with this giant croc on the back of the truck on yeah. just sitting on the bonnet with his feet on the big kind of rhubars there and it's just like wow that's insane i really i do like the kind of redneck poacher guys in this as well they're they're, who, who they're proper cliches yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was probably my pa- favorite part where the races got eaten by the crocodile yeah <laughs> uh, um, and, but i loved the soundtrack and i have no idea who did the soundtrack for this film mm. i would like it on vinyl thank you reissued that would be great just putting that out into the universe um and i really ah, oh, i i kept not laughing because it wasn't well it wasn't a film to laugh at really but i liked that particularly in that last scene where they're trying to get the, um uh, uh the crocodile back to where it needs to be yeah and it's kind of like this, it's kind of like a crocodile car chase scene it's great right um is that they go from can scenery and then they turn a corner and they're in alice springs <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time i was like cans darwin alice springs cans Darwin, Alice Springs. Yeah, I was picking it all out, um, the locations of where it was shot. But, uh, you know, apart from that, it was, I, I just, I absolutely adore this film. I just, and like I said, soundtrack, please. I would I, like I, a copy. I, I particularly like them trying to make the obviously fake crocodile look real. Yeah, they give it and, a go. And they oh, give it a real good go. Yeah. And I really like that. And I really appreciate the effort that went into making this gigantic croc. And then them going, we've got to make it walk. Yeah. And they go, how can we do that without it looking, you know, a bit Fake. rubbish? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they go, really low angle, and we'll try not to drag it. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, kind of, but because the rest of the film is so excellent and awesome, you're just kind of going, I don't care about that by the end of it. Yeah. It's kind of going, yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, yeah and, you, and, you do forgive it pretty early yeah. on. It's like, yeah, all right, fair enough. You've got to like, tell your story. It's, 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 like, it's like the shark in Jaws isn't really that good when it gets on the boat mm. but you forgive it it's you've got the same sort of thing in dark age you go yeah once the crocs out of the water and you try and get it to walk along <laughs> so, but at least they didn't do what they did in thunderbirds and get kind of little crocodiles and then put big things behind small things behind them Ooh, you're giving Ooh, me an idea yeah i just <laughs> thought that actually would look pretty good yeah. um lance this is a film that was never released in australia either isn't that a shame mm. uh, the distro company went uh, the, the people that distribute it went belly up fiscally just before it was due to be released. So it's one of those weird lost films that's 
never had a cinematic release in this country at all. But, Alex, if I'm right, we reviewed Dark Age on we Blu-ray. Did. It is yes. available on Blu-ray now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Umbrella put it out on Blu-ray and it's a, it's, it's a really nice print of it and there's, like, a lot of the explanation. There's some, some cool extras on it as well, I think, by memory. Very but good. Yes. Yes, it was like I I hadn't heard of this, and it came up in the um, not quite Hollywood documentary. Mm. And again, it was like <laughs> add to the list, Dark Age, <laughs> <laughs> big crocodile movie, and then it appeared on Blu-ray, and I was like, tick off the list. Yeah. Well, we're going from Dark Age now to I don't know a dead end drive here. <laughs> here now the news for July fourth, nineteen ninety five. In the wake of widespread economic collapse, officials are reporting massive general strikes. In the 1970s, there was Clockwork Orange. Then in the 1980s came Mad Max and the Road Warrior. Now comes a startling new vision that takes you into the apocalypse and beyond. Back to the old drive-in you used to know and love. Only now, when the show is over, there is no way out. Dead end drive-in. Not getting through to you, am I, son? No cabs, no buses, no transport. So, you're here, you're here, you're here. The government decides what to do with you. Government, 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 government. This is your home. You can't tell me that I want to get out now. Come with me. God, Jimmy, can't you see? This is all we've got. Get out of here. And don't you try and stop me again. Welcome to your future, like it or not. Dead End Drive-In. Ah, oh, yeah, Alex. Trust you to pick a film that has a great trailer. Uh, but yeah, Dead End Drive-In, what is it all about? Ah, oh, so this is from 1986 from director Brian Trenchard-Smith, who is pretty much turned into one of my favourite exploitation directors because he did Turkey Shoot, Frog Dreaming, Day and Strike of the Panther. He also did Leprechaun 3 and 4, which I've not seen yet, but I need to get around to it. Anyway, so the rule of law has collapsed and teenage gangs roam the streets, etc, etc. And the drive-in has become this kind of weird concentration camp for like the unemployed and ne'er-do-wells. Um, into this world come crabs, played by Ned Manning and his girlfriend Carmen, Matt, Natalie McCurry, and they accidentally find us. They go to the drive-in going, oh, we're going to see a movie, not knowing that it's this kind of internment camp. While they're there, the wheels get stolen off their car and they can't leave, thus being trapped in this kind of nihilistic wasteland that is the drive-in. It's populated by punks and goths and skaters and rockers who seem to be okay being there because they get junk food for free and they get movies every night and they've made makeshift shelters out of all the old abandoned cars and they really don't think it's any worse than outside in fact a lot of them think it's better but Krabs wants to get back to real life and he spends the entirety of the film trying to work out how to escape the dead end driving yeah it's uh look this is another one of those films that I am convinced and you can quote me on this, it's set in that world of Mad Max. Yep. <laughs> the first 15 minutes of this, before we get to the drive-in, Crabs and his, is it his brother? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, his brother works as uh, a tow truck driver who spends every night ripping destroyed cars off the road and uh, defending them from the car boys, as they're called. I love it. That sounds, it's the least threatening gang name I've ever heard. <laughs> 
it's the cowboys. Watch out. Um, who are causing mayhem and, and wreaking havoc, and the police don't really care about any of it. They just kind of stand aloofly by. So, again, uh, let's add this to the list of films that happen in the Mad Max universe, including another great Australian film, The Rover, by David Michand. But that's neither here nor there. Um yeah, look, I. this is an interesting film, isn't it? This is kind of the definition of successful exploitation. It it works through sheer force of will and, and, like, propulsion, I think. If you stop and think about it too long, it completely falls apart. The, the premise is yeah. ludicrous. Which was me going, okay, so it's opening with a guy who's jogging in a near future world that seems to be on fire. <laughs> Krabs is pretty unaffected by that yeah. this world. Hey, he's just like do do do, not too worried. Gonna run down the street. Yeah, I love it when he gets accosted by that gang of cowboys who are, who are threat, just like threatening him and and about to run him over. And as soon as they run away, he's immediately back to his blasé attitude. He's like, I'm going to keep on jogging. Yeah, asking, asking Carmen if she's free for a date next Thursday yeah, and whatnot. Next Thursday, a wink in the gun. It was like, yeah, yeah. see you then. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just got threatened with a flamethrower on top of a car. But, yeah. you know, so what? It's okay. So, I'm Alex, crap. am I right that you, like, if we were to play this out of, of like, probably scenes from your life, would you have been <laughs> the car boys in the car? <laughs> <laughs> There's two types of people in this world, Alex. You're a car boys or, or you're, you're a crab. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Weirdly, I think I got threatened by more people in cars just walking along the street. Okay, the so you're the around. jogger. <laughs> yeah. But, but much cooler looking than Krabs. I must admit. <laughs> yeah, but Krabs. It, um, what did you make of the soundtrack, Alex, for this? I, I really enjoyed everything about this film. Because to me, this isn't It's an just, Alex film. <laughs> yeah, it's not just Ozploitation. It falls into that punk-sploitation yes. yeah. genre as well, which I absolutely love. It's weirdly, I was watching this and thinking, this could be just kind of like the history of Australia in a very sh- in a very confined space in an hour and a half movie because you've got convicts being taken from regular life and put somewhere that, that isn't really quite as nice and as good but they're kind of being looked after yeah. and then when someone decides that you, you should do something better than this they'll kind of go no we're quite happy with this and then when they bring people from the outside who aren't part of their culture in inverted commas it gets incredibly heated yeah. and i was just kind of going wow this has got far more social commentary about australia in it than i ever imagined first time watching it it really does yeah and it's uh, and, and again this is why i love movies like this because they sneak stuff in like that it doesn't probably doesn't hit you the first time you see it but now second third view you kind of go oh hold on a minute the, they've said something important there yeah the, and, and, and covered it in burning tyres and car crashes and graffiti and spiky hair. But it's important. It's pretty disturbing the the way the film turns in the last yeah. half hour when they yeah. mm. bring in a bunch of unwanted refugees and we suddenly get a brewing race war in what had been the kind of semi-cute dead-end drive-in leading up to that. It gets pretty heated and, and really starts... I know the movie in a good way, starts going off the rails, I think, and just descending into chaos as opposed to the weird sense of order we'd had before then. And I do definitely like your point about this being a punk exploitation film. The main thing that seems to upset crabs when he arrives at the drive-in is the fact that he's surrounded by punks that freak him out and he just doesn't, doesn't approve of the cuts of their jibs. <laughs> 
but, but weirdly, he's wearing a singlet that nearly every goth in London wore for like 10 years. Yeah, he gets progressively more punk as the film yeah. goes. He acquires that weird studded jacket slash shirt from somewhere. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's, this is another case. All of these exploitation films we've discussed, I think all of them, once they're over, you almost feel the dirt stuck between your teeth from living through this. This, again, has got those incredibly visceral action sequences. Some of them are a bit weak, like they do like having cars drive through uh, flaming piles of wood, which looks awesome, but, you know, isn't super dangerous. However, there are, there are sequences in this that are crazy. The end sequence, let's call it the escape sequence yeah. and offer spoilers for a very old film. Uh, apparently, th there's a, a jump in that with a police vehicle that was the most expensive and, and most dangerous of its type at the time. And you look at it now and you kind of get the heebie-jeebies at how sketchy some of this stuff looks. Like, I'm surprised more people were not hurt during the filming of these films. <laughs> oh, I, I would definitely <laughs> believe that. Alex and Lance, I, I want to say thank you for being a part of ABC Re. Uh, Lance, already said it's been a pleasure. We won't see you next year, but thank you so much and Alex thank you for all the work that you put in and I should say that uh, at abc.net.au slash abcre you can find the latest true cult new releases uh, it's number 31 if you're looking for it where Alex does go and give a review of uh, drive-in delirium with a vengeance and dead by dawn as well plus a, a bunch of other films but thank you Alex for all the work no that problem. you put in you know um, also for your hairdressing tips they do come in handy um, but to fit to fit in what we do with your actual day job so um and also with your family so do thank the family as well because we have a lot of late night chats oh yes <laughs> and so i definitely appreciate that so um both of you i hope you have a safe christmas and a very happy new year but thank you thank you both so much you're listening to rihanna patrick on abc radio